chapter 11. Everybody pronounces that book differently, so uh, how, whatever you call it, uh, turn to Ecclesiastes. Uh, it does have an S, by the way. Revelations is not Revelations. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. It's Revelation. I was corrected by somebody. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I want to talk to you tonight about something that I like to talk about during revivals. Uh, can anybody tell me what is the number one thing that Jesus spoke about more than anything else? Money. Money, that's correct. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Because how could we have a revival and not talk about what Jesus talked about the most? Right? So we're going to talk about that. And I'm going to preach a sermon I have entitled, Learning to Cast Your Bread. Learning to Cast Your Bread. Because not everybody ever learns that process. There are a lot of people who think that pastor's job is to just get money out of you, and somehow they've got a manipulative thing going on. God does not work that way. He has men that take up offerings, but they're not trying to manipulate money out of you. That's just your cynical Western mind that has made you believe that, and hopefully by the end of the sermon, you'll have a different view of that, because I want to teach you to learn how to cast your bread. When I first read this scripture, and I, you know, I've read it a number of times, I, I, I thought I understood what it meant. And now, as I started to study it, I realized I didn't know it at all. How many of you have ever read a scripture and you thought you knew what it meant? And then you're like, you missed it by a country mile. Well, this is one of those for me. All right. So we're going to read Ecclesiastes, if you have your Bible. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, just just 1 through 4. Cast your bread upon the waters. Every word here is really critical. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a serving of to seven and also to eight. For you do not know what evil will be on the earth. All of that is really critical. Verse three, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. If a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. Very important, verse three. And verse number four, he who observes the wind will not sow And he who regards the clouds will not reap. Let's pray. Father, bless us, I pray tonight. Help this congregation, Lord Jesus, to respond and to respond well. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. Amen. I want to read you that same portion of Scripture in the Message Bible. It's what I'm reading this year through to go read throughout the year. And it's very interesting, uh, its language. Listen to this. This is that same Scripture, just four verses. Be generous. Invest in acts of charity. Charity yields high returns. Don't hoard your goods, verse number two. Spread them around. Be a blessing to others. This could be your last night. Verse three. When the clouds are full of water, it rains. 
When the wind blows down a tree, it lies where it falls. Don't sit there watching the wind. Do your own work. Don't stare at the clouds. Get on, your, on with your life. This is what that portion says. So I want to talk to you, first of all, about learning to cast. Now, in the Nile Delta, where I believe a lot of the illustrations come from, and from river deltas, they had a practice of taking seed and casting it upon the water. This is where this phrase comes from. And they would cast this seed, and so seed is precious. I eat a lot of nuts, and so, because uh, I'm nuts, you know, I say you are what you eat, right? So nuts and seeds are a healthy thing to eat, but you can either eat on them or you can plant them, right? Okay, so this is critical. They would take something that they had the ability to eat and they don't know that they're going to get any type of reward later on and they're going to cast what is very valuable upon the waters. Why the waters? What Wouldn't the waters take it away? Not in this illustration. In this illustration, those seeds would then sink to the bottom along the river Nile and then later on in the season, later on when the evil day comes, then they would come up and they would have something to harvest. Does that make sense? Okay, so this is talking about investing in charity while you have the ability to make money. Someday you're not going to be able to make the money that you make right now. And, you're not, and then you're going to say, well, I so desperately want to give, Pastor. Yeah, well, you spent 40 years hoarding your goods and you never gave then. And the Bible says to give now so that in the evil day that God will take care of you. I want to show you what I'm talking about. I have a few pictures if you can put these up for me. Okay, so these are, uh, some of these are ancient pictures, but I was in Minnesota preaching a number of years ago, and they, they gave me some uh, Indian wild rice, okay? And this Indian wild rice grows wild in Minnesota. That's where we get the Lakers from, by the way, if you want to know some of your history here in L.A. The Lakers came from Minnesota because it's a land of 10,000 lakes, thus the Lakers, that's where we get our name. And in the waters there, the Indians showed them that they could take rice that was growing alongside of the rivers, bend it over into the boat, and pound it so that they could have something to eat. It helped many of the early pioneers in that portion to uh, be able to live throughout the winter. Does that make sense? And they showed them how to cast their seeds upon the water so that they would have a harvest. Next, this was a, an ancient picture. This is a uh, more, more modern picture, probably 80 years ago. Keep on going. This is them here. So they're using two sticks to push it down and then knock off the kernels off of there. Keep on going. Okay. Indians picking wild rice near Brainerd, uh, Minnesota. Keep on going. Okay. There's uh, another one, them doing it more modern, and I think there's one more. And there they are right there. So that's a better illustration of what I'm talking about. They're using two, one here, and then they're knocking it out. And then by the, by the time that they're done, they have all of these things. This is, the, this is the way that God wants to show us something very powerful, that when you invest in something, it will come back to you after many days. And it literally helps many of the pioneers survive in those days. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 2 shows that charity is what is being talked about here. Bread or bread corn, as in the Lord's Prayer, all things needful for the body and soul. Solomon reverts to this, this same sentiment in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, but it's speaking about spread your bread corn upon the water, uh, uh, just like the Bible says, give us this day our daily bread. This means to seize life, to eat bread with gusto. And the Message Bible says, oh yes, God takes pleasure in your pleasure. 
In the waters, it uses the image from the custom of sowing seed by casting it from boats into the overflowing waters of the Nile or in any marshy ground like in Minnesota. When the waters receded, the grain in the alluvial soil sprang up and the waters expressed multitudes. So Ecclesiastes 11.2, it's mentioned. Revelation 17, it's mentioned. Uh, it seemingly speaks about this uh, investing in charity so that you'll have something in the evil day. It uses this phrase, give a portion of seven and a perfect, which is the perfect number. Seven is the perfect number. Eight, even more uh, to more than seven, that is to many. So it says, cast your bread upon many waters. In our church, we have four different things you can give to. We have a building fund and a new age, uh, new age, <laughs> new, well, that's great. Yeah, record that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> We have a new works pledge. We have a missionary pledge. Uh, We have love offerings. We have all of these different things. So it says don't just put them all in one basket, but spread them on many waters. So you need to get good at giving in many offerings. It's not okay because sometimes you have people who are obsessed about owning a building, so they only give to the building project or they only give to missionaries because they don't believe in having a building or whatever. But this is speaking about many, many waters. It speaks of a diversification and using the word many to say we should be giving to many causes for that is what this is speaking about. The word uh, dominion has to do with owning property and some people in their mind that makes sense. We bought a building because somebody put in $100,000 which then was seed money which turned into $200,000 which turned into $250,000. That was seed money and that seed that they cast upon the water is the reason that we're in the building today. Somebody believed in what I'm so, talking to you right now. And I don't, they, they actually sent that check to Tempe because they didn't want to be known uh, for who they had given it or who had given it to them. Because anonymous giving is also critical. Did you know that? You giving without getting credit for it. Okay? New works is speaking about lost souls. Overseas pledges is speaking about foreign lost souls. Needs in the congregation from time to time. It is also speaking about trying to help people who are in need. I have many people in my church have been given groceries when things got tough in their family. Uh, have been given cars. I, I can think of probably 10 cars that have been given away uh, since I've been in the church. Uh, we have given away some cars. My wife and I have given away cars and given away different things that we could give and why does it say to do this against the evil days because you do not know what the future holds okay and this is really critical that you understand this this is literally insurance against the evil days let me give you an illustration of what i'm talking about my father uh many of you knew him passed away three years ago and uh, for a long time they uh, owned a house in Tempe, Arizona and this was around 2008 and my dad was a hippie so it took him a long time to learn how to be responsible with his money. Anybody ever else struggle with that? Okay, so he was a full-on hippie and their philosophy was that you don't own possessions, possessions own you. Okay, so his whole life was very uh, willy-nilly when it came to possessions. Okay. So finally, they buy a house in Tempe, Arizona. They, uh, they talk to my brother and I, and Nick. Uh, I, I owned two houses at one time. I was a bit of an entrepreneur when I worked for Southwest Airlines. So he asked me and he asked my brother, Nick, who also owned two houses at the time, should I sell my house because the market's going through the roof and buy something else? Both of our advice was absolutely not. 
He did not listen. He sold the house and bought two houses. And then the crash came in 2008. And my brother and, and my dad lost both houses in the crash. So we were really upset, my brother and I, because we're thinking, well, how's, how's God going to take care of my dad now? He has no place to live. So they moved to what is called the cult sack. Uh, it's near the church in Tempe, and everybody from the cult lives in the cul-de-sac, okay, including my dad. It's a joke. Calm down. <laughs> but, uh, but that's what they would call it because everybody, everybody, literally everybody that lives in that cul-de-sac is from the church. So he lived there. He had lived there before, and now he had bought this house. He got out of the cul-de-sac, and now he's back in the cul-de-sac. <laughs> One day he's driving around Tempe, and he sees this house. Now, these houses were built for ASU professors at Arizona State University. These are very nice homes, very nice, uh, uh, you know, uh, irrigation uh, pools, five-bedroom house. Finds this house. It's just completely out of his range of renting. It's probably going to rent for $2,000. Well, he calls the owner, and the owner says, I haven't rented that house in eight years. I'm not interested in renting it. It's been sitting there for eight years. So my dad says, please, I would be willing to move it in as is. He said, well... Let me think about it. Well, he thinks about it, and he says, okay, I'll fix it up. The owner of that house came in and put in a new roof, redid the entire pool, started all the machinery for the pool back up, went in and put in brand-new countertaps throughout the kitchen, redid the entire house, and had my dad move in. So that was very nice, and so my dad uh, texted him the first month that he's there, and he says, where do I send the check? And, you know, they hadn't even talked about price, and he says, well... Text me next month. And so my dad texted him the next month. He says, uh, text me next month. And in the third month, the guy said, I'm not going to be charging you rent there. Now, think about this. My dad has given away. He's lost two houses because of his own decisions. But he has basically given himself to the prison ministry around the United States. He would preach all over the country. And that's the reason why he couldn't hold down a regular job in Arizona was because he was out preaching in the prisons and jails. And he would preach in the fellowship churches. So who's going to take care of my dad? God is going to take care of my dad. So for the next four years of his life, he lived in that house rent-free. That house is worth $2,000 a month. The owner of that house paid the electricity bill all of those years. My mother-in-law still lives there. She's now been there for seven years and has not paid one penny in rent. Hmm, interesting. Because I'm going through my dad's things recently, and I'm flipping through all of these envelopes that he gives to new works, overseas pledges, and building funds, but he never stopped giving. But when he needed it the most, God came through. Okay, so this is what I'm telling you right now. If you forget everything else I said in this sermon, I want you to remember this. You continue to be a stingy person. You continue to hoard and somehow think that you're going to, you know, because the same reason that people hoard funds is the same reason that godly people give funds. You know why? Insurance against the evil days. Because what they'll say is, I need to save for my retirement, don't you know? Okay? And I do believe in saving. When I worked for Southwest Airlines and I had a good salary, I saved 10% of my income in 401k accounts. That saved me when I came back from Africa and was a real blessing. I do believe in saving and being incredibly frugal, but I'm just trying to make a point to you that you be a hoarder, you want to go ahead and hold on to all your finances, I don't know what God is going to do, but guess what? God set that up for my dad. And my mother-in-law still lives there to this day and is taking care of his widow who he also could not take care of. 
insurance against those evil days. This word evil means the day may be near when you will need the help of those whom you have bound to you by kindness. Luke chapter 16 verses 8 and 9 says, Now here's a surprise. This is the message Bible again. The master praised the crooked manager. And why? Because he knew how to look after himself. Streetwise people are smarter in this regard than law-abiding citizens. They are on constant alert looking for angles surviving by their wits. But listen to verse 9. I want you to be smart in the same way, but for what is right, using every adversity to stimulate you to creative survival, to concentrate your attention on the bare essentials, that's called living frugal, so that you will live, really live, and not complacently just getting by on good behavior. What good behavior is he talking about? Becoming a real believer in the concept of a thing called sowing, and reaping. I know you've heard it all the time, and you think, you know, when you hear that, you go, oh, he's taking up an offering again. That's correct, because these are biblical concepts. Sowing in the soil, and then reaping later on. The very argument which covetous men use against liberality, namely, that bad times may come, the wise man uses it exactly the same reasoning. Because he says that the clouds that are going to gather along, around my life, that's why it talks about the clouds, these evil clouds will not destroy me if God is my protection. Ecclesiastes 11.2 in the message says, Don't hoard your goods. Spread them around. Be a blessing to others. This could be your last night. Meaning, when the times of evil are fully ripe, evil must come, and speculations about it beforehand as to ways to prevent one sowing seed of liberality are vain, is what Ecclesiastes 11.4 makes very clear. I want to talk to you thirdly about getting the amounts right. We have a pastor that pastored in Fairbanks, Alaska. I used to preach for him quite often in my early ministry. His name was Jim Hughes. Jim Hughes, um, this is how, can I just say white trash he was? Can I just use that word just for a minute? I mean, they, they, they were two drunks at a bar that, that they, they always frequented the same bar, him and his future wife. Okay, they would literally find themselves out in front of the bar asleep in the snow because they're so drunk. Okay, this man used to work out into the wilderness for six months at a time and he hadn't taken a shower in six months. He said he used to have to cut his clothes off of him after those six months. Okay, that's how nasty these people were. These are rough, ruffian Alaskans. Anyway, he, they frequent this bar and the owner decides he wants to sell his bar. So uh, they want to buy it. He's got money. He's a big logger, and he's going to make it. So he wants to buy it. But the, the, the owner says, I'm not going to sell it to a single person. So two drunks in the bar decide to get married so they can buy a bar. Can everybody say white trash? Okay. I mean, this is just nutsy stuff, right? Okay. So they, they do get married. They do buy the bar. Okay. And one day, she ends up going to a Saturday music scene, or they were showing the big three. She goes in on a Saturday and gets radically born again. He, uh, he eventually would come in. He comes in the, on the Sunday morning. He gives his life to Christ. He w- he's a big, burly fellow. So he's probably 5'10 and 240. And uh, when I went to go preach for him in Alaska, so, so he comes into the church, and as he, is, uh, as he comes into the church, he had $40,000 in the bank. And the church is just, ne- just barely getting up on its feet. And so he ends up giving $40,000 to the church. 
This bought chairs. This got them a building. This was a huge blessing to that church. That, that church blossomed because of that one huge gift, by the way. In fact, that church probably exists, is in existence today because of that one big gift. Now, say, well, how did God bless him? Well, let me explain to you how God blessed him. He was sent out of that church to go to a place called Fairbanks where every hellraiser and their brother lives. It's the end of the world, literally the end of the world. You can't go any further, okay? It's the last town that you can get to, and everybody there is half nuts. Uh, I went up there one time. The entire time I was preaching the revival, it was 40 below zero every service. Everybody kept their cars running while I was preaching. Very nice. <laughs> so he goes to Fairbanks, Alaska, and when I went to go preach for him, he told me the story because everywhere we're going around town, they don't call him Jim. They call him three-in-one. I said, why do they call you three and one? He said, well, my boss owns half of Fairbanks, and he calls me three and one. I said, well, why does your boss call you three and one? He said, because they either send three guys or they send me to do the job. Okay. <laughs> Incredible guy, a real man of God. Okay? That same owner, uh, that, uh, the, his, his uh, company, uh, blessed him so much that they actually bought him a piece of property and built him a church because they wanted him to continue to work for them. And he said, oh, you want to be a preacher? I'll buy you a piece of property. I'll build you a church. One time he went to Africa. His owner gave him $5,000 to go preach in Africa. Okay. This is the favor of God. But I wonder, I'm just wondering, maybe does it have anything to do with him giving the $40,000? Okay. I believe it does, because this is what my scripture teaches me, to cast your bread upon the waters, and after many days, it will come back to you. So you challenge God on this. You start asking God what he thinks about this. And what I'm going to challenge you, I'm not taking an offering, so everybody calm down. Some of you are like, I know where he's going with this. I've heard this stuff before. No, I'm not going to take an offering, but here's what I am going to do. I'm going to challenge you to get out of debt so that you can be a blessing to your church. There are people from all different churches here, and I'm going to challenge you because I understand that if you don't do it right in L.A., you're going to fall apart. If there's one place, they say the most expensive place in the country right now is San Francisco, San Jose. San Diego's number three and L.A. is number three. I'm sorry. San, Di- uh, San Francisco's number one, San Diego's number two, and L.A.'s number three. The most expensive place. So you have got to get your finances together. Can you say amen? amen. You're not going to be able to run up $40,000 in credit card debt and survive. You'll be leaving the county very quickly. Okay. So, and you will never be a blessing to your church until you get your finances under control. And every time we take up an offering, you're like, man, you're you're beating us up. I'm not beating you up. If you're completely out of debt, you have absolutely learned how to live within your means, then you can give on many waters. That's why I'm preaching this tonight, because I want to see the churches in L.A. make it. I'm actually shocked to see this big of a building. I had no idea that there was, you know, other than some of the larger churches that are here, I had no idea that this was even possible. Listen, your pastor wants to get an even bigger building than this. And I believe he could probably fill it. Okay. So there are all sorts of projects that these men of God, these pastors that have been attending the services this week, there are all sorts of projects that they would be interested in doing, but they're not going to be, do, be able to do it if the people of God don't get their finances in order. Verse number three says, And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it shall lie. What is that all about? Why is that added in there? I'm going to explain to you why. Because when a person is covetous, that's a tree that falls. Okay? And that nature is not going to change. This is why the Bible says, let him who is unrighteous be unrighteous still. I thought the Bible said that if you're unrighteous, you need to get saved. 
But there's going to come a day that it's going to be too late to be liberal. That's what it's saying. Okay? If you want to know what that's saying, that's what it's saying. And when you are liberal, when that tree falls and it, it, it falls in that position, then it, uh, is li- then it is a liberal giver. It is speaking of the nature of a man or a woman, liberal or covetous. And nobody that I have ever met has ever admitted to being covetous. Jameson Fawcett Brown says, Once the storm uproots it, it lies either northwards or southwards, according as it fell. So man's character is unchangeable, whether for hell or heaven, once that death overtakes him. Revelations 22:11. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he that is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Let me say this to you. Let, it, let him who is uh, liberal be liberal still. And let me just add this. And let him be selfish who wants to be selfish still. Okay? I want you to be blessed. I'm not trying to take all of your money tonight. But I do want you to know God does want you to be a blessing. The Message Bible says be generous. Okay? How are you being generous when every time somebody takes up an offering, you cinch up like a little sieve? Verse 14 of Revelations says, Blessed do those who, uh, who keep my commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter into the city. The word commandment in the New Testament is the will of the Father. This includes getting the amounts right in what you are giving. There is one who withholds more than is right, and there's one who gives more than, uh, than, he, than he needs to. Now is his time for his liberality before the evil days come. I have a friend that pastors a church. And I was preaching for him not too long ago. And he pastors in an area where we desperately need that church to survive. For instance, he's on a peninsula where almost every church has not made it there. Something like 15 different churches have tried to make it in that place. Nobody's made it except for him. He's, and he just recently got a building. Thank God for that. But for, for when I preached for him, we, I preached in his living room in a small little two-bedroom apartment that cost him $3,000 a month to rent. I'm talking about a little, tiny little flat, okay? And I'm preaching like in his kitchen to these people. They've just recently got a building, but he's actually a full-time pastor with 17 people. Never, and all my years in this fellowship, I've never seen anybody with 17 people that's full-time. And I asked him, how is that possible? He said, well, some people in my church, he was full-time, but as they had to be pushed around and moved around and couldn't make it, they lost different people over the years. And the people in the church responded in such a way where they said, we're going to start tithing 20%, Pastor. In one of the most expensive places to live in the entire country, some of these people are tithing 20% so that they can have a building and so that their pastor can be full-time. This is responding to the need when it is needed. There may come a day that they won't need all those finances. When that church grows and the other people come in and more finances begin to flow, maybe it won't be needed. But guess what? In order to keep a church in that area right now, that's what it takes. So when you think about your giving, maybe you won't be so upset about the 10%. Ecclesiastes 1, 1-3. Honor and enjoy your Creator while you're still young. Before the years take their toll and their vigor wanes. Before your vision dims and the world blurs and the winter years keep keep you close to the fire. In old age, your body no longer serves you so well. Muscles slacken, grip weakens, joints stiffen. The shades are pulled down on the world. In old age, your body no longer serves you so well. As your body slackens, as your grip weakens, you will not have the ability to make the finances that you're making today. 
This is why, and one of the reasons why I'm preaching this. You are at your maximum earning capacity right now. Don't fail God in that time. Our earning capacity is at its peak right now. Some of you think, no, I'm nowhere near my peak. Okay, okay, but it's better than it's going to be if, if you were to keep your salary as it is. Therefore, sow thy charity in faith without hesitancy or speculation as to results because they may not seem promising. Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatever turns up, grab it and do it heartily. This is your last and only chance at it. For there's neither work to do nor thoughts to think in the company of the dead where you're most certainly headed. I took another walk around the neighborhood and realized that on this earth as it is, the race is not always to the swift, nor battle to the strong, nor satisfaction to the wise, nor riches to the smart, nor grace to the learned. Sooner or later, bad luck hits us all. So in Ecclesiastes 11.1, man is told to cast his bread, corn, upon the unseemingly promising waters. Psalms 126 also picks this up in verses 4 and 6. It says, Now God, do it again. Bring rains to your drought-stricken lives, so those who planted their crops in despair will shout hurrahs at the harvest. So those who went off with heavy hearts will come again laughing with armloads of blessing. The farmer would get on badly, who instead of sowing and reaping, spent his time in watching the wind and the clouds. Ecclesiastes 4 and 5 says, Don't sit there watching the wind. Do your own work. Don't stare at the clouds. Get on with your life. Just as you'll never understand the mystery of life forming in a pregnant woman, so you'll never understand the mystery at work in all that God does. I want to talk to you lastly about three promises to the generous. There are three promises I want to look at. The first of these is that when you cast your bread, it will come back to you after many days. It says, give a portion of seven and also of eight, for thou knowest not what the evil shall be upon the earth. You know, what this actually meant when, when, the, in the, when they were interpreting this was that they would open up their tables, they would open up their door, and any poor person walking by, they would include in the meal that they were having. They believed that their table became the temple. When they tore down the, their big temple, they believed that their table became the temple of, of God and that when they invited people in to feed those people, that God was going to bless them. How many people believe that God does bless generous people? I want to tell you, I've seen people who are stingy and constantly frustrated with giving, and, and I've had people tell me, you're taking up offerings, you're making me poor. I used to believe the same thing, by the way. How many people used to believe the same thing? Can I get an honest show of hands? I mean, I, I didn't think that they were scammers, but I was like, you're going to make me poor. I'm trying to get rich, okay? And you're going to make me poor. You keep on taking up these offerings. <laughs> One of the things that really helped me, and I don't remember who said it or where it was said, but somebody said, that nobody has ever gotten rich by holding back from God. That helped me because I, I always thought, well, if I give this much in the offering that I won't have it. But that's not completely true because you, I'm, I'm not, it, when I give, then God gives back. Okay, pressed down, shaken together, right? Okay, we, we use those scriptures all the time, but they're really in the Bible. They weren't made up by a TV preacher. I said they're really in the Bible. Okay, okay. So, and those promises apply to you just as much as they apply to anybody else. Okay? So when you are a hoarder, when you are a stingy person, you actually hurt your future days. I don't know how my, that God took care of my dad. I, I can't believe that my mother-in-law still was able to live there. I thought as soon as my dad died, it would be over. You know, the prison ministry is no longer going on. This guy knew that my dad was doing prison ministry, and I know that that affected his decision. But now he's saying, well, there's a widow of a man who used to preach the gospel. Let me take care of them. 
I, I've never heard, I, in all my life, I've never heard of a single story like that. I've heard of some amazing things, but I've never heard of anybody who pays the electricity bill in Arizona where it runs $400 a month and pays for a pool to be continued to run. Beautiful pool that my dad swam back and forth in and, and lived there for years and years and years. It's, it, it runs close to $100,000. Who just gives somebody $100,000? Somebody doesn't even know. They've only met each other, I think, two or three times in six and a half years. See, God is able to take care of you, but you need to learn to be generous. It will come back to you after many days. Number two, the promise, it won't last forever. The inner conflict of how much to allot each cause really frustrates and stresses many people. God's answer is to be as generous as you can because it won't last forever. And so one of the promises that I want to add to this is the promise that your frustrations over how much to give is someday going to end. The Bible says where you're going, there is no more work. There is no more giving (laughs) other than giving of praise. And someday this won't be a struggle in your life anymore. Our church, as I mentioned, was given $100,000 anonymously. That seed money was a blessing. And I do know somebody in the church who said, that, they, that the people who gave it said they wanted it to get out of their hands before they spent it. You ever had a big chunk of change? I've never been able to give the church $100,000. Now, I know that over the years I've given the church $100,000, but you know, some rapper the other day gave away like a $10,000 gift to somebody and it was all over the news. Woo-hoo! I got single mothers in my church that give more than $10,000 a year. Okay, so I'm not so impressed with your big, fat, little $10,000 when, when you live in multi-billion dollar homes. Let me not get off on a tangent here. The promise is this life doesn't last forever, so enjoy it, but be generous as you go along. Let him remember that it will not last forever. The many days of darkness, that is, the unseen world, also the days of evil in this world, are coming. Therefore, sow the good seed while life and good days last, which are not too long for accompanying life's duties. All that cometh, that is, all that followeth is the evil and the dark days is vain as far as work for God is concerned. Promise number three says, cast your bread upon the waters and they shall come back to you after many days. Uh, you shall find it after many days. That is part of a promise. Uh, it's, it's, it's a part of a promise that speaks about the future that God can then protect your financial uh, life in. This is where we get unsure about God's integrity. Life is meant to be lived forward by faith and understood in retrospection. Let me share one last story. It's about a young man named Stanley Tam. Stanley Tam had failed in his silver reformation business or reclamation business, even though he had tithed since its beginning. Why God, he prayed as he drove homeward with numb disappointment one day. An inner voice from the Lord seemed to say to him, don't, you don't need to fail. Turn your business over to me and let me run it. Remember the promise, my God shall supply. Finally, Tam replied, take it, God, and you'll make it successful and I will honor you in every way I can. He returned home, and the business grew. Many months later, after he had married, he wrestled with his conscience once more and told his wife, I feel God would have us to take a bigger step of faith than tithing. Let's make him a senior partner in the business. 50% of the stock belonging to God and 50 belonging to us. This became what is called States Smelting and Refining Corporation of Lima, Ohio, was reorganized that way. 50% for God went to missions and missionaries and probably the Billy Graham Association back in the day, uh, and 50% to them. 
the United States Plastic eventually became what is called United States Plastic, was added to the group of, of, of partnerships. Growth was so phenomenal that the IRS audited their books for 10 consecutive years. Dividends from God's 51% were put into this Senita Foundation, which helps overseas missionaries. As the business passed the multi-million dollar mark, God's share, uh, share was up to 60% annually. Then one day, the ultimate happened. Stan and Juanita Tam turned over the ownership of the entire business to God. They became salaried employees. Since that, a new plant has been quadrupled its original size, and the business continues to prosper. They honored God according to the income, not hoarding, and God blessed them hugely. They became the biggest company making plastics in America. And this happened to many companies, Quaker Oats, Welch's Grape Juice. I don't want to go into all those illustrations. But it's astounding what God will do when you are invested in God. Okay? These people decided to give him a senior portion of the business. Let's do like the Tams and make the Lord a senior partner in our quest for security. You know, that's what it is, really. It's a quest for security. It's not so much a quest for money as a quest for security. How am I going to take care of these things? Again, be as frugal as possible. Be, run as lean as you possibly can. This is why the Bible says, learn from the sinner who has learned how to live very, very frugally and invest in here and invest in that. But whatever you do, don't become a hoarder. Can everybody say amen? We have a big problem. There's actually a show called Hoarders that is all over uh, TLC. Uh, and it's people who have collected these things. And these women that do this, they have stacks and they walk through these stacks. They've spent money on those stacks. I mean, some of them, they go shopping every single day. I have a sister-in-law that is a very brilliant engineer, works for Motorola, designing whole books and writes whole books on computer technology, but she's a hoarder. She goes shopping at, at, at Robinson's May and all these fine stores, and she, you, I can't even stay at her apartment anymore. There's just, it's all boxes. If I stay there, I have to lay in this little house, in this little bed, because that's all that's there in her room. There are people that have a serious problem thinking somehow that doing this. Now, Christians are not that stupid. Because your pastor's going to do an intervention on you if you were a hoarder, okay? <laughs> Probably, okay? But here's what they do. They'll build up their accounts and build up their accounts and let all of these offerings just go right past them as if they don't even exist. Listen, you're part of a church that is trying to build dominion in Los Angeles County, okay? You know, I'm sorry that God placed you in a place like this. <laughs> I'm just saying. Let's, let, me, let me just be honest with you. You know, we, we ought to thank God that we're saved in a place just like this. And we are going to challenge you to invest in something bigger than just yourself. Most, most of the churches, they have a little box in the back. Okay? I, I borrowed $2 million for our building. And one of the biggest problems that they have is churches just like that that have a box in the back okay, where people are putting in their offerings. We challenge you to give because someday you're going to get rewarded for what you give. Shame on the pastor who's afraid to take offerings and is afraid to speak for God and say, you know what, invest in something bigger than yourself. What a blessing that we have men of God that say, thus saith the Lord God, you need to invest in the kingdom of God. And that goes for every new convert, every person that comes in the church. But here's my greatest challenge for you tonight. I don't want you just to hear uh, a message about finances. I want you to get out of debt so you can be a blessing. Okay? Debt is the, largest, is the largest that it has ever been in this country. And Christians ought to say, you know, the Bible says, oh, no man anything means, oh, no man anything. Okay? So get yourself out of debt. Buy your cars cash. 
don't lock yourself down unless you absolutely have to. I have a few people like that, but I'm, I'm very much of a stickler when, as far as me launching people. You're going to get out of debt. I'm going to know your credit score. I'm not just sending you out because what you do with your money means, means everything to me because guess what? I'm going to have to pay double for the down payment on your building because if your credit score is 410, your credit score should be 810. Okay. So I'm just telling you, finances is very critical, and it would be a shame on us if we didn't talk about what Jesus talked about the most in a revival, and we just act like he didn't even talk about it. You better believe he talked about it, and there's going to come a day that you're going to have hope that you had invested when you still had the ability to invest. Not on Social Security. Well, I give my $60 every month for my Social Security check. Well, right now, you have the ability to give a lot more than that and to invest in multiple waters. I'd like you to bow your heads with me for a moment as we close. Praise the Lord. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for the unemployed and the underemployed. But before I do that, I want to ask if every person here has a real, honest uh, relationship.